Thanks again for tuning into another episode of the Culture Capture Spotlight Podcast. I'm Joe, and today I'm sitting with Joe Salzer. So we got good. two Joes. We got two Joes in the building, baby. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. So, for the people who don't like already know who you are, just kind of tell them a little bit about yourself um, and what you do and who you are. Definitely. Um, so I'm Joe Salzer, 25 years old, currently live in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, about a month ago, I founded my own company called Arena Consulting, uh, which is essentially a la carte management services for independent artists, labels, creators, other managers. Um, really, I, I built it to just help people um, and help the people in the industry who don't really get too much attention. So to be able to, to kind of come in and, and plug and play and help those folks get to where they want to be. Uh, and help them build the career that they want uh, and become the, the artist that they, they want to be. It's, yeah, it's super raw what Arena is kind of setting out to do. And, like, we're going to get more into, like, the specifics of how it started and where the ideas came from for it later on. Um, I just kind of want to take it back and just be like, all right, where did your appreciation for music first come from? And, like, how did you, when did it click in your head that you wanted to kind of pursue, like, the music industry? Oh, um, great question. So I, I, I think I fell in love with music at a very early age. Uh, my dad, I remember driving to school, would always have like CDs of like Usher and, and John Legend when I was like 10. And my dad really had no idea what they were saying. He just liked the sound of it. Uh, and for me, I just like really, I love the stories that those folks told. Um, and then a few years later, my older brother started a music blog uh, in like 2011, 2012. So that was kind of my first light foray into the industry is like seeing what, what my brother did. And I'd always had this passion for music. And I was like, wait, I could actually be involved in it somehow. So that was like me being involved in a light way. And as I kind of started doing that and growing in that space, I realized like it could also be a, a legitimate career path. And for me, it was something that like never really felt like work it was something that i just genuinely enjoyed doing so even as like a high school student where i'm in class from eight to three and then in sports from four to six like i would come home and just listen to submissions and write blog posts and like all that stuff and that was like my um like leisure kind of i just loved doing it uh so that was kind of the first industry for us at a young age which was incredible yeah, that's super cool. There's not many people that I've, like, come across who's, like, brother, like, is running a blog. Like, that's, is he still in the, like, is your brother still right in the industry or no? He's not. He kind of just, like, stayed in the blog space for about two years and, like, moved um, to different bigger blogs. And I kind of followed the same path. Um, and then was making just sort of connections around the industry and realized that I could help out in other ways than just like writing posts. So at, you know, the age of like 16, I was helping artists design blog campaigns and viral media strategies. Um, cause I was the, like, I, I just knew the landscape really well. Uh, cause I, I, had, I feel like I, I grew up in it like that. So I, I kind of had a good idea of how to spread music, at least how it was spreading at that time. It's obviously changed a ton, but it's, it's still the same like ethos behind it. Yeah, and, like, 
how did you kind of how do you feel like you gained the blueprints for that stuff that you were laying out at like a young age like where did you feel like you got those skills from um i think it was mainly like interpersonal skills and people say all the time that the music industry is such like a relationship driven game and that's that's completely true so i just um connected with as many people as i possibly could and everybody was on like facebook at the time this is 2012 like everybody was using facebook so i would just like friend request people in the industry that i thought were cool and then hit them up and be like hey this is what i do um i really like what you do type of stuff and those relationships just led to more and more relationships and i kind of tried to be like i guess a theme of like my entire time in the music industry thus far has been like a sponge you know trying to soak up all of this knowledge from the amazing people that like like to keep me around um and talk to me and include me and all that kind of stuff so I, i've been lucky in the people that i've come across and worked with and i've tried to get as much information um from them as i could yeah that's super cool and like how, how do you feel like you really got your first like foot in the door would you credit kind of like the writing stuff and like just kind of the networking that it it kind of entails like being a blog writer in the music industry definitely yeah and and i got to the point where i was kind of like running the hip-hop section for this really big college music blog and uh one of the guys who was working with me at the time showed me like a um unreleased mixtape from a chicago artist the mixtape was 10 day by chance the rapper i heard it and was like yo this is some of the best music that i've ever heard in my life and i kind of been waiting for like a sound like that that I could really latch on to with like just ultimate passion uh, and that was it so I you know played the old Facebook messenger game like I've been doing for, for two years and hit up um, Pat Corcoran who was managing Chance at the time and was like I want to help out um, and at the time like they were doing an incredible job of building this buzz around Chance both Chicago-centric and also nationwide, and Pat recognized the value of these music blogs uh, and the part that they played and just shining a spotlight on artists and, and getting the music really out there. So he was like, absolutely, let's run it. Um, and, and that was like, I would say, foot in the door in terms of really legitimizing um, this thing that I was trying to do within the industry. Yeah, and, like, we're going to bring up, I want to, like, we'll definitely talk about the Chance Days and uh, your days with Pat um, later on in the episode, but I do want to keep kind of focusing on, like, this blog topic, because it's, like, almost 10 years ago now, you know what I mean? And I, think, I feel like the power of, like, a music blog back in the day is almost, like, you know, tenfold stronger than, like, what it can be today. I feel like it's, would you agree with that? Would you agree that it's more kind of, like, on a social media, like, antics for sure, for point sure. of view rather sure. than like a Definitely. Um, like um, blog yeah and I think the sort of like I don't want to say like the death of blogs but like one thing that sort of um, curved their impact was like the advent of the streaming age um, and the Spotify's and Apple Music's of the world whereas like blogs could post they were the curators where it's like then turned into the, the Spotify's and the DSP's that were actually the curators for people because they could create playlists and push them to people um, and their algorithms are so good and, and all that stuff. So you're actually hearing the stuff that you want and it's good. So it's like you don't need to go out and search for music anymore because it's actually just handed to you by these DSP's. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you nailed it. And it's also, I've seen it in the last two years, like the, the blog stuff 
coming back. It looks way different now. Um, but, you know, I think you guys, um, culture is like a good example of it, as is Birds Entertainment, Sheesh Media, Early Rising, um, folks like that who are doing it on like a highly curated, very aesthetic, bite-sized piece sort of thing. And they're using social media to their advantage to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I feel like you almost have to. Like a lot of blogs, like the big, like big blogs, you know, like I just know with also at Modern Notoriety and like, you know, that's streetwear with like sneakers and stuff like that. But they really focus and hone in on like their Facebook and their Twitter and they tweet out every single article, you know what I mean? And yeah. like they're really, really diligent with like those tools. But like if you go to their Instagram page, like they don't do any type of interaction with their articles. Whereas like, I don't know, I see like with all those platforms you just mentioned, like they kind of all like, like CC included, like bring it kind of to the fold and like let people interact with the articles. And like we put hyperlinks in there to bring you to the streaming platforms, you know, like that stuff took a long time to figure out in the coding and the back end, you know? <laughs> Definitely. And it's also just like, you got to be where people are. And if you think about where people spend the most time and where the most eyes are, it's like, it's two platforms, at least to me, that jump out in terms of, um, I don't know, like 14 to 25 year olds. And that's, instagram and tiktok and mm -hmm. i don't like people are we're watching people kind of in real time figure out the instagram stuff um, with the pages that i mentioned and all that but nobody has really cracked the code i don't think on tiktok yet and it takes a while to actually figure out like what's gonna what's gonna work for it um but yeah and once somebody cracks that that tiktok thing and they actually uh ari elkins i think did it and then um, Carlos Infinite Playlist is another good example of people that have kind of used TikTok um, as a curatorial platform while also simultaneously building out Instagram and Spotify profiles and the stuff like that. Uh, but it'll it'll be cool to watch people try and do it on TikTok and figure out like what um, the best way to take a 2012 music blog and translate it to 2021 tiktok because that's where folks are right now yeah no that's that's facts like i don't think the blogs like there's no way blogs have like carried over to tiktok and just in general like um even artists with tiktok like yeah it's figured out to an extent but um it's completely random you know what i mean like especially with smaller artists like it's a lot harder for them to like hit an algorithm like if you're already an established name it's a lot easier for you to hit an algorithm on tiktok it's crazy, man. Like, it is really, that platform is like the wild, wild west. I remember when um, Daniel was in town in June. He, I took him to CRC. He stepped in the booth with an eight-second guitar loop, freestyled for 20 minutes straight. And I just took, like, a 60-second video of it because I was like, holy shit, this is, like, the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then just was like, wait, I'm just going to throw this on my TikTok. I had, like, 70 followers. Um, that post, like, ended up with, like 150,000 views and I gained 2,000 followers like in five days. The, the um, exponential power um, on that app is insane. Like it can really be overnight type of stuff. Uh, and it, it like has been interesting to watch and it will continue to be interesting to watch. It's like a stat a couple of days ago that was like 20% of record deals in 2020 came from TikTok. Yeah, and I think it's growing. Like, I saw a stat, too, where it's, like, I think 70-something percent of people in the industry have, are just using TikTok to find new music, like myself yep. included. I mean, it's just, yep. like, it's such a nice tool to find new music. That's partly why it's made. 
Um, so it's like you got to like kind of take that for what it is as well. And it's like you see more and more artists putting their stuff out there. Like like the way Lil Nas X has rolled out like these last few singles, just kind of bumping them all over TikTok. Every video yeah. is like that single. You know what I mean? Just kind of like getting people really familiarized with the hook before it even comes out. Yep. Um, it, I feel like it almost takes off pressure for the artists too on release day because it's like you have people more anticipated than like ready to ju- not as ready to judge because they've already heard the song and they're like just in tune with it and they just want to hear more. Right, and I think that like familiarity just makes people that much more receptive to it. So if you can kind of be teasing it for like a month and have people like you get to see the rea- like reaction to it, so you can post something and it might get like no love and you're like okay damn a week later you post something and it's like a different song and people are going crazy for it it's like okay that actually needs to be my next single like you can use it as sort of like a a testing ground um for what people like and what they respond to yeah and like i wanted to talk about this too uh it came to my mind like when you were talking earlier you're kind of right the right in the like era too of music when like streaming services really started and like were like the new thing um especially around like chants and stuff how much obviously now it's like it's hard to picture music without streaming services like it's hard to think of like 2020 2021 like landscape without a spotify and apple music but like um what was that change like at the time and like um how do you feel like it's been like since that change has really been going um so it's funny like i was kind of right at the point, um, I remember Spotify, probably I was in ninth grade and I started a playlist and I named it, please no one look at this. And that is a playlist that I still add like any song that I like to today. It has 2,700 songs on it of the, like, and I can actually like track my growth and like have memories related to certain like songs added and when, um, on this playlist, which is pretty funny. Um, but and in terms of what Spotify or DSPs really in general did for the industry was to me, they, they democratized it. Um, because before it was like a lot harder to get your, your music heard really. Um, and now we just see like the volume is completely insane. So it's like there are 60,000 songs that get uploaded to Spotify a day. That's 420,000 songs a week. Like that's crazy. So the volume is definitely completely increased, which I think is good because one, it creates competition and two, it also gives listeners options. Um, and it has put a lot of the control in the hands of a Spotify because, uh, uh, and it's a term called laid back listening where people want to have music fed to them. It's like they don't want to go out and look for it or find it. They'd rather put their discover weekly, which, is 30 songs that are like completely tailored to you by Spotify's algorithm of the stuff that you've listened to the longest and the stuff that you, you know, replayed and all of that stuff. They can actually just feed you the stuff that you want. So it's taken um, a little bit of the, a lot of like the, the effort out of music discovery. So the people you see, like, you know, you guys and those Instagram curatorial blogs are the ones that are now doing that discovery digging. And I think people are moving back to being like, we want somebody we trust telling us what they like because we might like it too. And that's the same thing that a blog was doing in 2012. In 2021, there's just a lot more options to wade through, uh, which is why we see 
these sort of curatorial spaces like popping up because um, people can trust them and get stuff that they like from them. So it's a little bit like the made back listening still, um, but it's more decentralized, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, that's a super unique way to put it. Like the layback listening. I've never heard that term before. Um, so that's like, that's a super unique concept right there. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of maybe turn into the, the chance days. And like you said, you kind of got your start a little earlier um, and made your connection with them through your blog days. So what were kind of some of the first early steps and like helping them and, and, and like just the overall team, like put music out and just, yeah. What were your tasks? Yeah, so um, Pat would kind of just, like, tell me when stuff was coming, and I had this network across the blogosphere um, that I would just kind of blast it out to and be like, I kind of got to play the, you know, I'm putting you on type of thing. It was great, and one of the, I mean, like, easiest things I've ever done, just because Chance's music was so undeniably great, that everybody was like, I want to cover this. I want to be a part of it. I like want to be the people that that announce this artist or like put people onto this artist. Um, all of that kind of stuff. So Pat recognized like that making people feel like a part of the team was the way to do it. So it was a lot of like, you know, we were doing ticket giveaways um, for shows that I would that I would help run. We were setting up interviews. I wrote. I was also. Um, one of like the early editors for Rap Genius at the time, which is now just like genius under that umbrella. Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote Chance's introductory post on Rap Genius and like got started on annotating all of his lyrics and then a verified account where he would come in and do that, um, set up meetings with him, with the genius folks in, in Williamsburg when he was up in New York. Um, so really just kind of use the national network um, industry-wise that I had built uh, to kind of, like, just plug this up-and-coming superstar. Yeah, that's super wild. And, like, obviously, Chance has turned into, like, a household name. So um, for people who were trying to, like, out there listening, um, trying to turn artists into household names, what's some advice that you would give, like, those people? Um, that's billion dollar advice for sure. I wish I had like, um, yeah, I wish I had like an exact answer for it. I think, you know, it's totally a case by case basis, but one thing that I've seen consistently work for artists. And one thing that like chance and Pat did early on very well was like develop personal relationships with fans. So they were able to actually make everybody feel like they were a part of the team. So, I see artists do it now. It's just, it looks completely different nine years, 10 years later. Um, but now it's like, I think Daniel's like a really good example who I like to use a lot, uh, just cause I, I think he's doing it at a really high level right now, but he has his engagement with his fans is so authentic and grassroots and gorilla that they all feel like they're friends with him. And those are the people that you need in your fan base because they're the ones who are going to tell 25 friends about your music. And five tickets, you know, five tickets to your show and bring four of their friends and put them on and buy your merch and like stream the shit out of your album when it comes out. So if you can get, and it looks different for every artist because it has to be authentic. Like people are very good at sniffing out the things that aren't authentic. So you have to find what works for you and what resonates with people and then just stay consistent in doing that stuff to build, um, a core fan base 
of super like ravenous hungry fans um and pat referred to it one time as as your tribe and i think that's a really good way to look at it um it's like building your your tribe of people and also like having like a solid um vision for where you want to go in the future and staying consistent in music releases and fan engagement and you know social media posting and, and all that kind of stuff i think is super integral um to not just like having a, a moment because that's random and sometimes kind of easy to do um but I, I like to think about building careers for people as opposed to just like having someone shine for two years and then kind of like fall off the map it's like how do we help like give artists super sustainable careers and let them have the impact that they want to have on the world and that looks different for every artist it's like you might have an artist who's like i want a record deal you might have an artist who's like i just want people to hear my music you might have people who are like i just want to be on tour and all of that looks you know your path to success will look different depending on what your end game and goals are yeah and that's 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 some crazy advice for sure like you said a lot of gems there i just know from personal experience like it really is like case by case like you like you can't look at like a i don't know i'll use like mainstream artists as, as the example you can't look at like kanye west and snot and say yeah you can market them and, and put them out the exact same way and it's going to work you're going to get the same results like you can't you know and it's, it's um, yeah every because it's we're, we're, we're talking about music you know mm-hmm. which is something that is so personal and subjective that there's no there's no two artists who are the same music wise or personality wise so what works for somebody isn't going to work for another person because they're not the same people and they're not making the same type of music and when i say be authentic it's like you can't do the same thing as somebody else because that's what's authentic to them and not what's authentic to you so as a blueprint i mean i can give like high level advice which is the stuff i'm saying about like fan engagement and being authentic and staying consistent but it's actual like specific advice it's like i would only be able to give that to an artist like one-on-one knowing them um yeah that's cool and um once chance is like up you know what i mean and 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 he's you know happening type of shit um how much did your life change you know like what like what was kind of your weekly itinerary of like travel and, and just moving around so I was actually, I wasn't with them for all of that kind of stuff. So I was um, 16 years old at the time. So I couldn't really like drop out of high school um, and like move to Chicago and go on tour and like be a part of all that, um, which was, so I, I kind of missed out on some of that stuff that was happening in the middle and then rejoined the team full time about like three and a half years ago. Um, so I had like stayed in touch with Pat um always and he was always like super kind and receptive and appreciative of everything that i did so always you know um kept me in the loop on what was happening and uh when it came time for me i I went to college at like a small school in tennessee and studied english so i wasn't even sure if i was going to go back in the music industry um and then i spent a, a year working on this startup in new york called superphone which was founded by ryan leslie it's just like an absolute go genius um big brother mentor type figure to me and he was like ryan's a grammy nominated producer has worked with kanye jay-z diddy 
Cassie, all these folks. Um, so I kind of got like half back into the music industry um, and like the tech space as well. And uh, ended up on the phone with Pat and was like trying to get chance to use Superphone, which is an SMS marketing strategy. You see, you know, anytime somebody has a phone number in their bio, right. that's what we're talking about. Superphone was the first one to do that. Um, and I was on that team. So Pat recognized the value of something like that. So he and I were on the phone and he was like, damn, I wish that, you know, you could have come and, and worked with us full time uh, way back then, but you know, you were 16 and whatever. And I was like, I still, you know, come work for you now. Cause I was like, I want to be in the music industry and this is my chance to work with two people that I really, really admire in Pat and Chance. So he was like, uh, what, like, what do you mean? Like I, you're in New York, you're working on this, you know, startup that's like doing really well. Like you work on Chicago. And I was like, yeah, dude, I want to do artist management. So three weeks later, um, I moved to Chicago and started, you know, back with the team full time. That's wild. And like, was it kind of in that period of like the in-between of like the earlier chance days with the blogs and then like, then coming back into the equation three and a half years ago, was it that in between yeah. time you were really like in your mind, like, fuck, I'm just, I'm trying to do artist management. Like that's like what I really want to be a part of. It, so there was a, it's hard because you, you never really think that you can be in the music industry full time. Like some people do, but it's also one where people look at it and it's like, oh man, it's like so hard to penetrate. It's like super gatekept and there's like, everybody wants to work in the music industry, but there's only so many jobs and like, especially good jobs. Um, so I, I had thought about a ton of things. I was like, I might want to go into real estate. I might want to be a lawyer. Like all this stuff where I was looking at things that were more practical. And then um, after working on Superphone and kind of getting back into this music tech crux space, um, I realized that like artist management and like not even necessarily artist management, although like that is kind of like where I cut my teeth and like, started doing this stuff was like really just like helping artists so i think management is one way that that manifests but it, it can manifest a ton of different ways so it's like you know a distributor or as a label um but i i just realized that i needed to be working with artists and, and be around artists and be helping them achieve their vision and dreams because that's like what's really awesome and like feeds my soul what did you what did you kind of want to achieve um after your time with chance and and pat um i don't know i really just like soaked that entire experience up uh and kind of like studied it you know and saw and i got to see it from a really interesting perspective because i was in it and on a team for a while and then was in this position where I was out of it and more like voyeuristic. So I got to see it inside and then outside. So watching that growth was just like really, really cool. And then kind of being like adjacent to the music industry for so long and then finally back in it, it made me realize that like there's actually no blueprint to this stuff. It's like every artist is different, which is that conversation that we were having a bit ago. It's like on, on all that stuff. So I think what I wanted to achieve was really just like, growth and experience um and being being around and that's kind of all of the stuff that set me up for where i am now is like being lucky enough to be in situations like that where i'm able to be around such greatness um and pick up some of that via osmosis you know yeah and like you you and pat were 
really close, right? Like you, you live with Pat, I think you were telling me for a minute at one point, right? Pat is, you know, still one of my absolute best friends. Like he gave me, um, incredible opportunities and mentored me Was a best friend, a big brother, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. That's cool. And how was your like relationship with, with chance to like, once you rejoined the team and everything, were you able to kind of work up closely with him and, and, uh, really kind of see his ideas up in like in front of you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of my favorite things is just like being in the studio, um, at the same time as him. It was just like an amazing, amazing thing to watch. Yeah, that's cool. Do you have any, like, studio stories you could share about um, just, like, him doing his thing in there? Um, watching him punch cut was always super impressive to me. Um, and just, like, the way that he can create uh, so quickly and how pretty much whatever he does sounds good. Uh, that was, like, always a really shocking thing for me to see um even after seeing it multiple times i was like damn this is crazy still yeah that's got to be super surreal because it's like i i understand it from the blog aspect of like you get sent hundreds and hundreds of songs that you got to go through and like pick out and just to kind of see it from a very starting point of like you know you have 10 day and then you know six seven years later you're in the studio after like a bunch of accolades it's just that's got to be kind of rewarding i can imagine <laughs> definitely and I, I remember the night that um we put out 10 day and acid rap on streaming services which was um 20 it was june i guess of 2019 and it was just it was so crazy to me because it was like i worked you know i helped out on these projects and i was like one of the early adopters and like fans of chance and now i'm sitting here like in the studio a part of the team that's like making these available um, to everybody on Spotify and Apple Music and all that stuff, which was which was really just a special like thing to be a part of and like a huge full circle moment for me. Yeah, that's dope. I kind of want to transition um, real fast. You used to work at uh, Nice Work too, right? Yep. So what what was Nice Work like? I don't. I'm not really too familiar with it, but what what did you do there and like what was that kind of company all about? Yeah, so um, that was founded by Pat. It was a management company. So when I joined, I started as Pat's assistant um, on like kind of business affairs type of stuff. Did that for about um, three or four months. And then Pat and I, I think, both realized that me as an assistant wasn't necessarily maybe the best um, use of my skills. So I transitioned into some marketing and promotion stuff, um, doing a lot of like digital media, our relationships with DSPs and applications and stuff like that. So we were a management company, uh, always a management company. And then in November of 2020, or 2019, excuse me, um, also became a distribution company. So partnered with ADA, um, who does all the distribution for uh, the Warner for the Warner pipeline um, and kind of got to like foray into this label world as well. Um, so management I think is awesome because you get to be a part of everything and see everything. And the stuff that I learned was absolutely invaluable. We were managing, you know, 
eight clients probably 10 clients maybe um and then getting to foray into the label world as well i kind of feel like i got a good holistic um view of a ton of different spots in the industry um like a, a wide range of stuff which i think you know has given me a, a a good breadth of experience to be able to now talk to folks about how the industry works. Um, and I don't, you know, I never pretend to like know all the answers. Um, but I do have a, a good deal of experience, um, in an amazing network. So it's like, I always, always am learning, always learning new things. Yeah, I feel you have to. I feel like no matter who you are, like you have to always kind of go into any situation with your ears uh, equally as open as your eyes, just because it's like you I, never know what you can like pick up from somebody at, at like events or anything like that. You nailed it, and it's like it has to come from a genuine place too, like that desire to learn. It's like you shouldn't be like cozying up to people because of who they know or like what they can give you, like that kind of stuff. It's more like I just really love connecting with people um all sorts of people um so I, I don't look at that sort of desire to learn as something that's necessarily for me specific to the music industry it's kind of just like one of the ways that i live my life where it's like everybody has something to to give um and teach if you're just willing to, to listen yeah and now kind of current day you're doing arena which is like you founded the company. What like tell the listeners a little bit about that? Not a little bit. Tell them all the way about <laughs> Arena and, and what it is. Um, like you mentioned it uh, out the, off the top, but yeah, we've given them a right. lot of sense. Yeah, um, definitely. I'm in my backyard right now, and we've got all these tomato plants, and I just ate one of these cherry tomatoes like straight off the vine. It's like the best thing ever. That's had. raw. Um, That's raw. Yeah. So Arena Consulting. Um, I guess like. The idea for it really like had kind of been brewing in my head for a long time. Um, I always wanted to have my own company, regardless of whether it's like my full-time endeavor. It's like I, I wanted to have my own LLC company, entity, whatever it was. So it was always going to happen. And I think that the idea started when it was like my DMs were kind of like flooded with artists asking me to listen to their music or give them advice and that's when i realized that there was a huge need in that space which is helping the people who don't maybe have the attention of the industry yet um so really like being there for them or like helping bridge the gap between somebody who's just making music and somebody who's like a legitimate for some contender um, in the industry. And that's a long path always, but if I can come in and change the way people look at one or two things um, and help them understand what baskets to shoot at and where the goalposts are, um, I, I do think that's something that artists early on in their career could really, really benefit from. Yeah, I, you nailed it. I mean, because it's like we see it with CC. I mean, I think a lot of people see it who do like music blogs in general. It's like you just have these really, really small people online with like really like small followings trying to kind of just break in and find ways in through DMs or comment sections and stuff. 
and like what arena is kind of aiming to do i think is super neat especially like in chicago um where like you just don't see that much kind of like outgoing um energy towards the smaller artists um how long how long behind the scenes before because you launched it in august like at the top of the month for your birthday yeah so it was about it was about two months a little over two months and that was kind of just me first of all um i had a lot of like decompressing to do uh upon like leaving a full-time job so i wanted to make sure that my mental was like in the right space um regardless of what i chose to do next i really just wanted to kind of like decompress that through experience and not jump into something immediately um and that was never the plan it's like i i say been saying i kind of like gave myself a summer break um and i don't like i I haven't been taking a break but at least from like full-time um complete like a nine to five type of activity um so spent about two months on it uh a lot of it was like market research where i i actually just like opened my dms and called the people who were asking me for advice and had a conversation with them and was like what can i do to help is you know something like this something you would be interested in is it something that you think would be valuable for other artists like yourself and had a lot of i mean every day i was on the phone with artists and also just like industry folks um who are my friends and like kind of running through the idea with them and what they thought and getting their their tips and advice and tweaking and sending out business plans and and all that kind of stuff that allowed me to really get behind the idea and get it in the best place possible and then there was a lot of stuff that went into like the creative behind it as well um my boy shane who was the creative director for 99 neighbors was one of the most like talented um creative directors graphic designer types out there so he i kind of just like spent hours just like gushing to him about this idea and what i wanted it to look like visually and how i wanted people to feel when they engaged with it and he took it and boiled it down and made this logo that i just like am obsessed with um and then like was going to lowe's every day picking out paint swatches like putting them together and trying to find the right color palette which is a lot of fun for me because normally it's like i'm helping people um with like their creative goals and desires and outlets and this time it was like me getting to do it for myself and launching this business so it was it was really great and the whole process took about you know two months to get it to where i I wanted it to be and then i was also in part like waiting for my 25th birthday just because i thought that that was like a cool moment um to be able to like launch it um this business that i'm going to grow with for the next 25 years um as the first 25 years of my life kind of culminates yeah that's raw that's a raw way to look at it man um and it's like it's dope you really locked in with it for the long term because it's like there's a lot of potential with the shows and and just the the artists you can kind of help put on to new like people that have like a platform and like you start to see them take off and like under just like a bigger microscope you know what i mean like a shorter point in their career um like i feel like there's this like natural like we have to wait for artists to have like 40 50k and then they can start to blow up whereas it's like it's not just at like 900 followers or like 3,000 followers you know what i mean and like the thing is it's like that person who has 900 followers needs just as much help as the guy that has 15,000 20,000 30,000 it's like just because you don't have the numbers yet doesn't mean that the product's not great and doesn't mean that the products can't improve but 
we're expecting artists to just like do all of it themselves until they get to a point where it's like okay now we want to pay attention to you and that's fine it's like those people like labels and a and r's do an amazing job of like finding the talent early and developing them and all that stuff but i think that there can be a step before as well um just because of the shoot and this kind of goes back to like what streaming services did is when i say they democratized um music it's like now anybody can be an artist uh and so many people are trying to do it but as an independent artist it's like you're tasked with making music you're tasked with marketing it yourself um also working a full-time job to probably like pay for all this stuff um coming up you know you're your own graphic designer you're your own creative director all this kind of stuff it's just like um why not like have somebody to help guide them who knows the industry and can help out and be there for them yeah it's in like now that you've been out and it's been going on for a few weeks what are some kind of stuff you've been doing under arena the last few weeks uh i've been doing a lot of sessions with artists really um which has been absolutely fucking awesome to get started and and really like have conversations with these folks and kind of like validate the need for this not need but like yeah i guess need but like how much they appreciate what i'm doing and the advice that i'm giving them and the trust that they've put in me and every time i get off a call to an artist they're like Thank you so much. And I'm like, no, man, thank you for trusting me with your career and letting me, like, help. Um, because that's just always incredible to me. Yeah, it, it really is. Like, it's, like, as much as it's, like, there's a lot of work that comes with uh, working with artists, it's really, like, a true honor because it's, like, it's another human being trusting you with, like, their livelihood, you know? Uh, and their, their vision, right? It's, like, yeah. their, their life. Because for so many of these artists, it's, like, it is their life, you know? And to, to be tasked with helping that, even in a small, small way, um, whether it's like, you know, it's me talking for an hour, um, that's just super, super powerful for me. Yeah. And like you, um, I mean, I know we've talked a bunch um, before the interview about like some goals that you have with Arena. But what are some what are some things you maybe want to like kind of put up in the city, maybe by the end of the calendar year? do in the city i'd love to throw a show in our backyard i think it'd be really cool yeah. um we did one a couple weeks ago that was not like really arena focused it was more like um my roommate's best friend is in a band so they we set up like uh, a canopy in our parking lot and had six pas and we're just like had three bands and two dj sets from like 6 to 1 a.m. And it was just so cool to do that in this backyard that I love so much. Also, like, listening to music and, like, putting on this show. So I think it'd be really cool to do that for some, um, not, like, undiscovered, but, like, maybe um, folks in Chicago who don't have, like, a ton of, like, can't play shows at a venue, but kind of give them this space and let them put something on tape, you know, yeah. to then go to then go to venues and be like, yo, look at this. This is how I perform live. And, you know, it's all of us just, like, moshing in the backyard or, like, holding our cell phones up or something. But it, it gives them a chance to, like, get in front of people. Um, I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, that is super raw. And, like, I know you, like, the show aspect of Arena to me is what's most exciting because it's, like, 
everyone remembers shows. Um, I know, like, we all, like, in the industry, we go to hundreds of shows, small shows, but, like, you remember, like, you can always look back at them, you know, and, and remember who was there. And it's, like, it's going to be crazy after you've put out, like, 10, 12, 15 shows over the next, like, coming years to look back at the artists that you've, like, put in there and see where they then go from there, you know? And, like, that's going to be yeah. super dope, and I feel like that's going to be, like, what makes it all rewarding, especially with, like, Arena. Definitely. It's just, like, for me, it's about just, like, giving people experiences. So for everybody who comes to this, too, they get to see, like, an incredible artist in this, like, cool, intimate venue, which is, like, our fucking backyard in Chicago. It's, like, that's so cool to me. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited about that idea, and I'm excited to work with you guys on it, too. Like, I think the show could be really cool. Hell yeah. I know we're going to be there. I mean, we'll be there with cameras. I mean, you saw us at Summer Smash with our cameras. Um, Y'all were snapping, man. I need those. If you got any, like, fire pictures of me, just send those my I way. I will. I haven't, bro, I haven't even looked at, um, like, half of my photos from Friday. I haven't looked at any from Sunday, uh, like, half of them from Saturday. Like, I've just been so busy. And it's like I mean, when I'm not getting paid yeah. to like edit right. the photos for anybody. And it's like it's like for you guys, like I know I have some of Daniel. I probably have some of you too with him. Um Yeah, dude. I mean y'all you might have taken a million photos. You were just I kept seeing you just snapping. It was tight. Yeah, bro. It was that was my first festival. So I was like, All right, man, like we're gonna kinda put the iron to the iron or whatever the phrase is and just fucking, you know go you know and just kind of network and and just kind of move and just keep it professional with people like totally i don't know i feel like the biggest thing with networking especially like face-to-face networking is like you have to be short like you don't want to be long and dragged out with it like especially if it's someone that like you just don't know and it's kind of like like, top level like you have to be like quick with it you can't just step in the box and like take too long totally you gotta realize that like rapport is built over time and relationships are built by proximity and frequency so it's like you're gonna see these people again you know and you don't want to be the guy that talked their ear off for 30 minutes it's like you want to be the dude that like said what's up and like wished them a great set and then when you run into them you know two months later at the next festival it's like okay maybe you can have a longer conversation there but like that's how a relationship develops and like a genuine real relationship develops is like through that um that frequency Right. It's just like reading social cues. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It's like, you just got to be able to read a room um, and just kind of remember these, everyone's human, you know? Yeah, (laughs) Um, exactly. But yeah, you were at Summer Smash. I mean, we should, we can bring that up. How, how, you know, you had a set, you were with Daniel, um, an artist out of Um, Oregon. How, how did it all go for you and like just your whole team there, like the past weekend? It was great. So Daniel, um, is managed by um, one of my best friends from way back in the like blog days, and the guy that actually brought me to New York to work on Superfund, that company. So um, when Daniel came to Chicago for the first time in June, they all stayed with me, which was awesome, and we all just like got along and matched really well. So they're just like my best friends, and also I help out where I can, and you know they're back in Chicago, so the whole squad was staying with me. It was Daniel's first festival ever. I was so fucking proud of that man. Um, I think he's a really, really super special talent, and the team that we're getting built around him is just absolutely incredible. He crushed his set. He let me. Uh, he actually let me open for him. I don't know if you saw that. I did not, bro. Unfortunately, I unfortunately had to go to the artist lounge to tape interviews. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, so, I'll send you a, a video, but Daniel let me be his hype man. So I just ran out on stage and just like screamed for like 30 seconds. It's over before you, it was, it was, it was fire. Oh my God. I get, yeah. I, I'm like, cause I know Tinley was there. I think Tinley and Hunter were there. They shot it. Um, and they said it was a fire set and I was blue. Cause like that Lenny 10 stage, like a lot of good sets there. A lot of really fun sets there. Um, and, and had a great like, time super, this weekend. Yeah. Super intimate. I felt like, you yeah. know, um, cause it was like kind of an enclosed space. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really like felt like you were, I mean, Daniel like jumped in the crowd and was like rapping with everybody. Like he jumped over the barricades and was like in the crowd, which was cool and not something that you could do on a main stage. So it was great, but we'll be on that main stage. Yeah. I, I have a strong feeling he's going to be back bigger, uh, bigger next year. I mean, I don't know. They're, they're already saying that shit might be four days next year. It's like, Jesus, if it's going to be four Damn, days, bro. yeah, Yo, three days took it out of me, man. Yeah. Right. That's like a fourth day is, uh, like it's dope. You know what I mean? It really is dope. Cause it wasn't, I think they had uh, over 50,000 people turn in this year, which is like, that's incredible. Um, that definitely like lifts the festival up to a lot in terms of like, okay, it's not just like Lyrical's festival. Like this shit's really pulling in fifty thousand people. That's a lot of people. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's awesome, man. And just like those Lyrical guys are so awesome too, and good people, and Chicago people, and came up just like so, like hardworking, uh, grinding, and just like doing such dope shit. So seeing them shine like that, um, and like running into all the guys and just like how happy they were um, was really cool. Yeah, a lot of the, like, I don't know them well, but a lot of them seemed uh, pretty content with how shit was going, especially, like, after the rain delay on Saturday. Like, that shit was pretty hectic. Um, yeah, it was. You know, Very it's hectic. like, you can't control that. And luckily, it only killed an hour. It didn't take, like, three, because um, then they really would have been pinched. <laughs> you probably would have had to sure. cancel. You would have had to cancel artists. Like, I don't think anyone got, like, they didn't have to cancel any sets, I don't think. Yeah, no, I don't think so. so they, yeah, they were they were well prepared. Yeah, they did a good job. Um, I want to talk about this kind of like towards the end of where it's like, you know, what do you do when you have free time? Um, sometimes like I get to this part and people are like, yeah, bro, I don't got free time. <laughs> um, um, I, so I, I am not one of those people. I need free time. Yeah. Like that's just like, will always be like a boundary that I set. And that's for my mental health, which then just like leads into my productivity. Real so quick, can you talk about that and just how important that is? Because there's people out there that, like, I know they got to hear that. Um, I try and do it um, in my time doing this shit because it's, like, you just have to put your mental health, like, at a priority. Yeah, well, so, so uh, I think that we are currently existing in one of the toughest times ever for folks, like, mental health in general. Um, just with, like, the impact of the internet and social media and also the pandemic and like just all of that kind of shit. Um, so I, I've always been keenly aware of my mental health and its ups and downs and the things that I need to do to stay excited and motivated and kind of grind through the tougher times. And one of the like key parts of that, I, I, we, as a culture, I feel like put so much emphasis on the grind and like the no days off, like no sleep type of energy. Um, and like that is important and sometimes necessary and very valuable, but also is what leads to, to burnout. Um, 
and especially in industries like music or photography or anything that's creative it's like you need time to relax reset and like refill um because at least for me in a job where it's like i give so much of myself to people every day just because that's like one who i am as a friend also as a professional it's like i give my heart out freely um which in the past has been like led to kind of the sort of drained feeling or burnout or exhaustion um and one of the things that i've found helps um is one therapy you know if you have the means to do that that's like a super important thing and two um exercise and three like being outside so those are three things that are like super good for me and i think you know it varies person to person that's kind of just like my um experience but like i love gardening you know it's been talking about his backyard a little bit and like doing that and like taking care of this like massive garden we have and like eating tomatoes off the vine i'm like damn that shit's so far um so little stuff like that and like if i if, if i can go for a run it's like that stuff that's like super good for my mental health and kind of like keeps me um at a level where i can be the person that i need to be for everybody around me yeah which is a lot of like that's a lot of pressure sometimes it's like when people um need this version of you that's maybe it doesn't feel like it's always there um but if you can have boundaries where it's like you know um i'm actually not taking work calls past eight o'clock at night unless it's an emergency i I don't know that's a tough boundary because like everybody always thinks it's an emergency so i i wouldn't phrase it like that um but like stuff like that that you can do to kind of protect your energy especially if you're somebody who like gives out that energy um freely because you need to replenish that and find the things um that help you do that right and it's like i don't know what helps what's helped me so far is like just taking a day like just taking one day out of the seven it's like yeah that's my day to just kind of like wake up and just chill and just like rest my brain and gear up for the other six you know and like um it's really hard to like realize that and i think like for it other everyone learns differently but like for me it was like it's failing as in like the entertainment industry and like that's like what made me realize like you have to value like your creativity because it's like if you don't then you're not gonna be able to like create you know you're not you're gonna literally you're gonna just dry out yeah um but especially when it's yeah creativity which is something that's so like deeply personal um so to be like to pull that out is an exhausting endeavor um so you have to be very very like self-aware and knowing today's the day i need to take off and i'm not just going to grind through this one because that's going to lead to something bad or like unproductive whatever it is um so that self-awareness i think super key right and um man the gardening stuff sounds cool my dad tried to run a garden (laughs) he tried to have a big ass garden when um, i was a kid growing up and like it was on a hill so that that didn't yeah. work out for like numerous no, reasons, but um, that's super raw. Like I like the whole nature, like being in tune with nature and just going outside. Like I go for a lot of walks. Like I I go and like walk and get my coffee or walk and get my Starbucks or just go for one. You know what I mean? It could be at night even. It's just like I don't know the the like notion of like being able to go outside and not staying in the crib for like days on end. Like that just drives me insane. You know what I mean? So uh, like Sorry, I have to and move. That's, yeah. 
especially when we're you know summertime shy it's just like so nice out all the time so like i'm working on i'm working on my tan right now i'm shoeless and shirtless in the backyard just pacing so that's fire yeah that's my summer that's my summer summer uniform nice 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 (laughs) and like yeah i mean again i'm an east coast kid you're you have the the south and here mixed with you so it's like you i feel like your heat you can deal with heat way better than i can like yeah, I didn't but even you go can, outside you can, yet today because it's too hot, bro. Fuck off. You can deal with you can deal with cold way better than I can. So oh yeah, you're maybe a little bit better equipped for this shit than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once it gets, you know, it's not necessarily even. And I guess this kind of goes back to like the mental health thing. It's not like the cold really that bothers me. It's just like the dark and gray that Chicago kind of hits from like I don't know December to like yeah April. You know, that's like, uh, that's, it's tough to like stay. It's tough to like go, go outside and go for a run when you finish all your work at six o'clock when it's been dark for two hours. It's like, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it really, I get you. Like the winters, it's really hard to get creative and it's really hard to pop out at events and stuff because more people are inside. Yeah. Um, it, it is tough. So it's like. I feel you, bro. Um, I know you're into sports, too. I know that's something you are definitely a fan of. Um, you cheer for the Bucks, right? I'm like, I, at this point, I wouldn't even say I'm a fan of sports. I would just say that I'm a fan of Tom Brady. Wow. Because he's, he's, <laughs> he's bigger than sports. Yeah. He is like my best friend in the entire world. That's what I tell people <laughs> that Tom's my best friend. He and I have never met. He has no idea who he is, but he's my best friend. Um, but yes, I am a diehard Bucks fan, huge sports fan in general. Um, but it, this was the greatest year of my sports life. Um, it was completely incredible. I went back to Tampa for the game. I didn't go to the game, but just being in the city that I grew up in and like love very much um, for a weekend like that was just like completely incredible and awesome. And I've been a fan of that team for my whole life, which is a lot of dark, bad years. Um, and then having having this year was just like really awesome. And I guess the craziest part of the whole entire thing is that we're gonna do it again. So I'll make an I'll make an official Super Bowl prediction right here. Um, Bucks Bucks versus Bills, um, thirty eight to seventeen. You have the Bills going to the bowl. I do. Yeah. Interesting. Or maybe like I don't know. I don't think the Chiefs are going to do it three times in a row. I don't uh, either. I yeah, think, I don't think it's the Chiefs, but I I don't think like, it's the Bills yet. I mean, the Bills are damn good though, so it could it could happen. It's like Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. That's just like a like a recipe for just like a two thousand yard receiving season. Yeah, especially with an additional game. Like that's it's going to be crazy. Um, but I like the Browns too coming out of the AFC. I like the Ravens. I think Lamar Jackson. If he can ever like. Lock. I don't know. Not like he hasn't locked in for playoff games, but like if he can be clutch like that and like outperform um, in a playoff game, it's like they're going to be super dangerous too. And with any like quarterback who's that athletic, um, they, they, you've always got a shot. Yeah, you do. And he he's talented. Like that, he's just so talented. Like I don't know. I like the the Bucks though. I mean, it's cool to see Brady doing his own thing, and like it was dope to see him win. Uh, like post Patriots because he's probably going to get 10 rings are um, you a Patriots fan yeah yeah so, okay so uh, we're we're kind of like almost like Brady brothers 
yeah, we're anointed uh, under that, which is like super funny. Like my best friend from back home, like he would say, he would talk about Brady the same way, <laughs> the same way you did there with that intro of like, yeah, that's like my best friend without him knowing. Like it, it's like it's really crazy to see that like kind of over there too. Um, and it's right, only exactly. been one year. Um, it's just totally. like, it's really crazy. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, you had the lightning too. You like, I'm not like huge, huge into hockey, but like y'all had the lightning go crazy. Um, which I'm know. not, I'm not as huge. I mean, I playoff hockey bro. Agreed. And I dedicate so much energy and like love and heart to the Bucks that it's hard for me to like have that same level, um, for any other, any other team. Um, but the lightning playoff hockey is incredible. I was at game one of the Stanley cup and that atmosphere is just so awesome and another it's like thing for the city where i'm just like this is incredible um and i love the way that tampa's like just like growing um and thriving and having like two sports victories we had the rays i don't care about baseball at all but i guess they were in like the world series finals um and then our like one of our, our, our like soccer team won a championship too so it was just a great a great year to be a tampa sports fan yeah, that's super raw. Like, who, what do you cheer for for bass? Like, do you follow the NBA at all or not? I do. I'm more of a fan of, of players just because, like, coming from Tampa, it's like, first of all, I'm not going to pick the Magic. I'm not going to root for the Magic ever. <laughs> um, I'm a huge, like, LeBron fan just because I love watching, like, history in action. Mm-hmm. So I don't, like, I don't even, I, yeah, I just get to root for players, which I think is kind of nice. So I, I can watch any team and enjoy it. Um, which is which is nice. So yeah. I just get to like enjoy the sport as a whole. Are you a Celtics fan? I guess. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah, diehard Celtics yeah. fan. Um, big Tatum wow. guy. He was drafted on my huge 17th. Tatum guy. Yeah, drafted yeah, on dude. my seventeenth birthday. Dope, dang, <laughs> like awesome birthday gift from the Celtics. Like for sure, they um, got you. Yeah, they they definitely hooked it up with that. Now, who are some of your favorite players? Like, who do you who do you be cheering for the hardest? Um, LeBron, I love. I love Giannis. Um, I like Damian Lillard. I think it's really cool that he raps too. Yeah. Um, and Alex Caruso, obviously. Alex Caruso is iconic, and like Alex Miles Caruso's Bridges. Iconic. Miles Bridges is a better better rapper than uh, Damian Lillard. I'm okay. Yeah, I believe that. I think, bro, didn't Caruso just end up on the the Bulls? Yeah. So that's crazy. I wish that I had like gotten into like Bulls fandom because I live in Chicago, but I just can't. You know, it's like doesn't feel authentic. Like that. That's like um, I don't know. I that's can't how just, I like, thought I'd be, to be honest. Especially coming from Boston, where it's like y- y- we just win every year over there. Right. But it's like, you know, they, they have so many – they have a passionate fan base, so it's fun. Like the Bears – it's fun to cheer for the Bears. Like that. that's just like hilarious to watch. Um, and hilarious. Just like, um, the Bulls will be great because, I, again, I love basketball. Like I'm a diehard basketball fan. Like I don't know if I've ever told you, but like before I was going to go into the music industry, like I was going to do sports. And like that was kind of like – what a lot of people around me, like in school and like close friends, were like, "Yeah, you're gonna do like that ESPN like analyst work, like type like shit." Broadcasting, yeah, yeah that'd be sick. and like that's what a lot of people kind of pet, like pinned me out doing. Um, but I've always just loved, loved sports, especially like hoops. Like my mom loved hoops, and like I had a hoop outside, so it was sick. always just kind of like a way for me to like you know it, just take care of myself, I guess, and like 
it was just yeah. a fun like it was just a really it's a fun game and like to see where like how global the NBA is getting to it's just like you got so many people that like bro they they don't know anything about basketball but like they know who the main players are and shit like it's just super uh, cool. it's super raw yeah, to yeah. see kind of that's where like the NBA is at now and it's kind of like I feel, I personally think it's the top league in the like country like i know like the nfl does big ass numbers but like yeah but i i I feel you though because what the nba has done that's really cool is like let players shine as individuals right um with like their personal branding and like shoe deals and like all this kind of stuff that like allows them to be so public facing that you kind of don't get in the nfl i feel like and they get to be more creative. Like, that's the other thing, too, is, like, the players kind of get to show off, like, some personality, too. And I think, like, we, it's, it's just a nice addition to have that for sports, you know what I mean? And, like, to be able to kind of understand an athlete a little bit more, to understand, like, how they may, like, just move around, you know what I mean? And just, like, be themselves. Yeah. Plus, like, Devin Booker's dating Kendall Jenner. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty raw. The finals yeah. this year were so dope. I mean, it was, like if either team had won, I would have been like satisfied. You know what I mean? Agreed. Agreed. It was, just, like, Agreed. It was yeah, it was fun. Like that's that's the other thing too. Like we don't get that with football. Like I feel like nope. you hardly ever get like a genuinely just pleased fan base as in terms of like the NFL's fan base. It's so hard to like you don't almost never see it. I feel like every year with the Super Bowl, there's people like ah, I'm sick of this damn team. It's like bro. You know, like, there's just no one who can appreciate shit. Where, like, meanwhile, it's like you have, again, this year's finals for the um, NBA was crazy because it was, like, the Suns and the Bucks. But, like, even the bubble finals, like, it was, like, people – it wasn't just, like – Oh, I love the bubble. Yeah. I love the bubble, dude. It was so entertaining. It was, yeah. I uh, So, 99 Neighbors was living in Chicago at the time. And I remember pretty much just, like, wait – because there was a time where it was, like, games every day, all day. So I would just, like, wake up, go over to their crib. They all lived together. There were nine of them. It was, like, a – it was, and they're all, like, my best friends. So I would just, like, run run over there, walk over there in the morning and just, like, chill all day and watch basketball mm-hmm. for, like, for, for a month. It was great. It was awesome, bro. Like, the play – like, the uh, eight regular season games and all that shit. Like, it was so raw um, yeah. being able to, like, have that, like, just to watch. Um yeah. But one of my last questions for you is just, like, what are some of your goals for the rest of 2020? Or 2021, sorry. Um, I'd like to have, I'd say, like, I'd like to be helping 25 artists. Um, so right now, well, we're, like, three weeks into Arena, and we're at 10 artists that I've worked with. Um which is so cool because it's like that's so wild that I've in three weeks been able to help 10 artists yeah like that's crazy I love that um so 25 actually might be too low I think we could probably shoot for 50 I was um, you're halfway some, there already yeah 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 so let's go 50 there are also like some strategic partnerships that I want to get done um so to be able to like funnel artists up um so potentially like a distribution situation for the artists and potentially even like a major label partnership that'd be super cool um yeah and what are some things like that you have coming up that you're going to kind of be working on that like people can be on the lookout for um i don't know um so there's a band out of 
Brooklyn that I've been working with called Do Funk. Um, six pieces, kind of like funk, jazzy, just super like cool ass Brooklyn people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put an album out about a month ago, and they're just going to be touring all around New York. So they're doing shows, like two or three shows a week. Um, and just so if anybody's in New York, Manhattan or Brooklyn, um, get out to a do funk show. Definitely do that. Joe, this was a pleasure, man. Um, we're over an hour, so we kind of went. <laughs> Thanks for, thank you for sitting down, bro, and uh, taking the time to do this. My brother, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, if anybody wants to talk about anything, whether it's music, mental health, um, relationships, whether that be personal, professional, romantic, I am here for you. Um, Joe Salzer on Instagram and then at Arena Consulting um, for the business. So yeah. I, I'm here for you. If you're listening to this, thank you for making it this, like this far. Uh, I love you. You're loved. Um, you're incredible. Awesome. And thank you so much. Yeah, to further reiterate what Joe just said, uh, go follow his Instagram. Go follow Arena on Instagram. If you go to his personal page, you'll see Arena's at right there too. Um, that was again it was a real treat and thank you guys again for listening to this episode of the Culture Capture Spotlight Podcast if you've been listening to all these episodes and have been keeping up with the show uh, we thank you so much for staying tuned in just help us with some ratings on the episodes or just the show on whatever platform you're listening to and just share these episodes out and we'll be back next week with a new episode